So I have to forgive me this uh, morning. I'm getting over uh, cold. And uh, trust me when I say I'm better today than I was the past few days. So God has perfect timing, doesn't he? But uh, bear with me. You've got to listen to me this morning. So I'm, I apologize for that. Uh, <clears throat> most, if, if not everyone in this room is familiar with the story of the Titanic, right? And a lot of us have seen the movie, so we're experts. After I saw this movie, like I am with a lot of movies that I see that are based upon real events or or true stories, I was curious to know how accurate the movie was with the story. Now, not with Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet's character, but more with how the ship went down and how it was evacuated. Because let's be honest, this movie shows some people in a pretty bad light, doesn't it? Especially the, uh, the wealthy folks. So, uh, so a while back, I was reading through a few of the uh, reports about the survivors from the ship. And one thing that I found that was very interesting that I want to share with you this morning were several stories about men and women who had to choose food and clothing over jewelry and money. When comparing these items, without understanding the, the background, without understanding the situation, I think few of us would choose food in exchange for $10,000 worth of jewelry or clothes in exchange for hundreds and thousands of dollars worth of valuable items. But people on that night did. Why? Why the shift in values? Here's the reason. Because on that night, they knew this ship is going down. And soon we're going to be stranded at sea. And there's no amount of jewelry, nor could all the money in the world keep us from hypothermia and starvation. What a shift in values. After reading this, I began to think of the countless number of things in our world that we treasure that have little to no value in the grand scheme of things. In our text for today, we're going to be in uh, Philippians chapter 3, looking at verses 8 through 11. In In our text for today, Paul is going to challenge us to make this kind of drastic shift in values. Because here's the truth of the matter. Our ship is going down. I don't mean to be doom and gloom this morning, but that's the truth of the matter. The Word of God says the world, along with its desires, are passing away. And a lot of the things that we currently value matter little when that happens. Knowing this truth, Paul calls for us to value Christ. Because Christ is the only one worth valuing when the world, along with its desires, pass away. I heard this quote recently 
And I don't know who said it, but it's, it's so good. I want to share it with you this morning. I hope you remember it. <clears throat> it says, this life will soon be past. Only what is done for Christ will last. Today we are talking about how to experience joy through valuing Christ. First way is to recognize His value. To value Christ, we have to recognize His value. Verse 8, chapter 3, Paul says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. If you remember last week, we talked, Paul is warning the Christians at Philippi about this false religious group known as the Judaizers. Remember the Judaizers, they thought that Christ, though significant, is not sufficient. And, and they were going around and, and messing up the work that Paul was doing, and they were teaching that, that along with Christ, what one needed to be saved was to be circumcised and to abide by Jewish laws. And in the previous verses we talked about last week, Paul has basically called these Judaizers out, hasn't he? He basically says, you know, if anyone has a reason to boast about being Jewish and zealous for the Jewish cause, it's me. And remember, in the previous verses, Paul lists out his accomplishments. He rattles off this impressive religious resume. And after doing that, Paul concludes that all the accomplishments that he once held in high regard, he now considers to be of no value in comparison to Christ. And in verse 8, what Paul does is he takes what he says in verse 7 to another level. <clears throat> he says this, Not only do I consider my Jewish credentials and accomplishments to be of no advantage at all. I also consider nothing, I, I consider everything as nothing in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ as Lord. In other words, Paul says, any and everything people put value on in this world, and any and everything people think bring joy and happiness and purpose are nothing compared to Christ. Wow, what a statement. Because of Christ, Paul says, I've abandoned all those things that I used to hold dear, and I consider them to be rubbish. That word can also be translated garbage or excrement or that which is thrown to the dogs. Now, why does Paul go to this extreme? To say that he considers all things as garbage, and why did he abandon all his accomplishments? Because he knew like those on that night who chose clothes and food over money and jewels when evacuating the Titanic. Paul knew that those things matter little. They matter nothing in the grand scheme of things. He knew that none of those accomplishments could give him what he needed most, a right standing with God, joy in this life, and an assurance of a glorious future. How many of y'all have seen the movie uh, The Hurt Locker? few of you. It's, uh, boy, it's an intense movie. It's about an army bomb squad unit 
whose job is to detect and disarm roadside bombs in the Middle East. So if, you're, if you don't like tense, don't watch this movie because it's very tense. But one of the most intense scenes in the movie is when the main character is trying to disarm a car bomb. And they wear these protective suits, you know, and you think at the beginning, oh, yeah, it's good they got those on. But you find out that if they're anywhere near the explosion, those suits don't help them much at all. And this guy is trying to disarm this bomb, and he's kind of restricted in his movement, and the, and the, 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 the suit that he's wearing is more of a hindrance. So he does something really shocking. He just takes it off so he can be more free in his movement. And he's able to disarm the bomb. It's a very shocking scene because this suit appears to be of help to him and, and, and a protection to him. But what you find out is, and what he realizes is, if this bomb goes off right here, this suit's going to do nothing to help me. It's more of a hindrance. And, the, and Paul viewed any kind of credentials and accomplishments in the same way. You know, looking at them, they look like they're of some help. They look like they're a good thing. But they have no value when it comes to salvation. In fact, they are just a hindrance. That's why Paul just throws them aside. Paul also came to understand when compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ, all things are worthless. Now, I have no doubt in here that many in this room know that the Scriptures teach of Christ in this way, don't we? But here's the real question. Do you believe it? And do you value Christ in this way, to this extent? Is Christ more precious to you than all things? Think about the things you value in this world. How many of those things would you be willing to cast aside without a second glance or without a second thought for Christ? And how many of those things would you be hesitant to let go of? There are simple ways to, to test, to know if you truly value Christ the way that you should. One way is to look at the way you spend your time and your money to see if your values are different than that of the world. Listen to what Luke writes here in Luke 12, 34. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Look at this quote from John Piper from his book, Don't Waste Your Life. He said, if we look like our lives are devoted to getting and maintaining things, we will not make Christ look great. He will look like a religious side interest that may be useful for escaping hell in the end, but doesn't make much of a difference in the way we live and love here. Is your life so devoted to getting into maintaining things that all Christ looks like in your life is a religious side interest? It's a great question. Another way to test to see if you truly value him the way that you should is do people inquire about or take notice of the hope that you have in Christ? Peter says this in 1 Peter 3.15. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. When, if ever, has anyone taken notice of the hope that is in you? 
if it's tough to think of a time, it may be because uh, the source of your happiness either is or appears to be the same as that of the world's. Let me challenge you today. Re recognize Christ's value and in turn live to prove that he's more precious than all things. Number two. If we want to experience joy through valuing Christ, we have to treasure his righteousness. Notice what Paul says in verse 9. He says, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. The reason for Paul's single-minded devotion to Christ is described here in this verse. Paul's greatest goal in life was to be righteous. Before Christ, he pursued it with all his might, and he arrogantly thought that he could attain righteousness on his own. Last week, we talked about his pursuit of righteousness. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 6, Paul says, As to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. In other words, according to what the, 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 the Jewish people require, you know, the works, as to those works, I had a perfect record, according to them. According to the Judaizer standard, Paul's credentials were impressive. They were. In fact, I'm convinced many of them would have loved to have had Paul's credentials themselves, which is why what Paul says here is so significant. That's what makes what he says here so significant. He says his desire is to be found in Christ alone, to be completely united with him. And in no way did Paul want his own works applied to his life. He didn't want to have anything to do with them. In no way did he want his works or his deeds to be applied to himself. When I was in school, the only D I ever made in school was in eighth grade in art class. Laugh it up. Go ahead. You may think that you don't have an artistic bone in your body, but believe me when I say I have less than you do. And one of our assignments, I'll never forget it because I did really bad on it, was we had to draw our own foot. And um, I know it's just weird. Uh, we had to draw our own foot, and I, and, and I remember... Thinking to myself as, as our teacher was showing examples of previous students who have drawn who had drawn their foot, you know, and saying this is kind of what I'm looking for. I remember thinking to myself, I sure hope that she does not hold my drawing to that standard, because if so, I'm in trouble. And of course, she did, and I was. This is the way Paul felt about his own righteousness after he got a clear view of what God requires, Paul's like, I don't want any of my righteous deeds applied to that standard. That's what Paul, that's, Paul got a clear view of what God required and in no way wanted to have anything to do with his accomplishments. Though he at one time thought them uh, to be of something of worth, after seeing what God required, Paul re-examined his record and said, I am spiritually bankrupt apart from Christ. God had given Paul a clear perspective of himself. When I was in elementary school, 
I thought I was pretty fast. You know, and I was faster than most of the kids in my, in my elementary school. And uh, I began to think, you know, there was nobody that could beat me in a race. And as you know, elementary schools, they eventually all merge together. And we had one middle school, so we had five or six elementary schools come together and merge into one school. And all of my lofty thoughts about myself being fast came to an end, especially when I met Melvin Ward. Melvin Ward was uh, nicknamed Bullet, and it was for a reason. And I remember the first time Melvin and I raced in track. I, I was, we were both uh, sprinters on the sprint team. And, uh, you know, I kind of thought to myself, well, I know they think he's fast, but I've never really ran against anybody faster than me. So I lined up confidently thinking that I would beat Melvin in a race. And he beat me by, I think it was a car length or more. And uh, I raced him again, thinking, oh, something's happened, you know. He might have got a faster start or something like that. And then he beat me again by, by more than a car length again. And I soon realized that Melvin and I could race 100 times, and Melvin would beat me 100 times. That's how much faster he was than me. So at one time, though I was fast and I was impressed with my athletic ability and my speed, you know who wasn't impressed? Melvin. Not at all. And you know who wasn't impressed after that? Really, me. <laughs> after watching how fast Melvin was, I really wasn't that impressed. And the same is true of Paul. Though many of us walk around impressed with our accomplishments, with our own works, thinking they count for something, you know who's not impressed? God. He's not. And we need to see what he requires. It's important that we see that so we don't become impressed with those things. But instead rely upon him for what we can't be on our own. Though at, though at one time Paul thought highly of his accomplishments, after encountering the risen Lord, he saw his righteousness for what it truly was, good for nothing, and wanted to have nothing to do with it. Paul came to the realization he was in need of something he did not have that only Christ could give righteousness on par with God himself. Here's the issue with us. There is an idea in our society everywhere today, this, this idea in our culture that we can do something to merit favor with God. That our best is good enough and we have to reject this view because the opposite is in fact true. Paul used to reason in this way. Before he came, became right with God, he arrogantly thought he could meet God's requirements for righteousness until he met the one who did. And then he said, I have nothing to bring to the table in comparison to what he brings. Same is true of us. Christ did something for us that we could not do for ourselves. He was righteous inside and out. He obeyed God perfectly. His perfection was on par with God himself. And he offers us this righteousness. He offers us to, to, to accredit this righteousness to us if we'll only trust in him alone for salvation. Think for a moment on the times you've messed up in your life. Try to think about every single time you've messed up. Can't do it, can we? Because we mess up 
day after day after day. Now think about Christ. During his earthly ministry, all of those times, all of those moments, you messed up, Christ succeeded. He was tempted like we are, but he was without sin. Where we failed, he prevailed. And he did it because that's what had to be done for us to be made right with God. Listen to what Albert Barnes says. I love this about Christ. He abstained from every sin, fulfilled every duty, and exemplified every virtue. He brought everything to the table and we brought nothing. Paul realized this, which is why his only desire in life was to be found in Christ, completely united with him. When standing before God, Paul just wanted to be clothed in Christ's righteousness. He knew that was the only way he would be received by God. To truly value Christ as we should, we have to reject. We cannot put any stock in our filthy rags of achievement. But instead, we have to receive and and treasure Christ's immaculate robe of righteousness. Number three, long to know him. You want to experience joy through treasuring Christ? You have to long to know Him. Listen to what Paul says in verse 10. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. Paul's basically saying at the beginning of this verse, it's literally translated, all I care about in this life is to know Christ for who He truly is to experience Him and be associated with Him in every way imaginable. That was Paul's desire. First, he says he wants to know Christ and the power of His resurrection. What this means is Paul's not saying he wants Christ's power to raise the dead to life, like he did with Lazarus and and with Jairus' daughter. That's not what Paul's saying. He's referring to the changing power of Christ here. Because Christ was raised from death to life. His resurrection power is able to transform a person, to take a person who's dead in sin, who's against God, unable to willfully choose Him and live for Him, and transform them into a child of God. That's what the resurrection power is capable of doing. And that's what happened in the life of Paul. And Paul knew and taught that this resurrection power that had changed him from the inside out was also needed for him to live a God-honoring life. Therefore, Paul's aim in life was to experience that resurrection power more and more and more so he could faithfully and fully live for God. Second, Paul says he wants to share in Christ's suffering. Now this is Many like to skip this one, and some do. Today, there are many groups out there that are teaching, you know, God wants to bless you in the here and now with worldly wealth, and all you got to do is give this amount of money or do this certain amount of things, and God is obligated to bless you in that way, in the here and now. Sign me up. That's true. We know it's not, right? Though that sounds great, problem is it's just not biblical. Suffering is a part of the Christian life. 
And as you grow in your, your knowledge of God and as you're transformed by Christ's resurrection power, you know what's going to happen? At times, you're going to come under attack. It's just the truth of the matter. Trust me when I say Satan knows when he's being threatened. No one knew this better than Paul. We all know the, the, uh, the things that Paul brought, the contributions he made to the Christian faith, which is why it's no surprise that he was under the attack that he was. But Paul had the right perspective. He had the right perspective. He considered it a privilege to suffer because he knew that in that suffering for the cause of Christ, that just made him more like Christ. Here's Paul's perspective. I would rather suffer with him than prosper without him. What a perspective. That's how you treasure Christ. That's how you live to prove that he is more precious than life. Being willing to choose to suffer for him rather than prosper without him. Lastly, Paul says he wants to become like Christ in his death. Once again... This takes a little bit of explaining here. Paul's not saying he wants, to be, he wants to die exactly the way Christ died on a cross at Calvary. Not that he wouldn't have. That's just not what he's saying here. Paul's not talking about death in a physical sense at all. What he's talking about here is becoming like Christ and associating with him through dying daily to his own pride, sinful goals, and self-exalting desires. That's what Christ called of all of us, didn't he? During his earthly ministry, Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, if anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself and take up his instrument of death, the cross, and follow me. In this verse, Jesus explains what Christianity is all about. He's saying, if you truly value me, if you want to be my disciple, you have to die to self-will and embrace God's will. That's real easy to say, isn't it? Isn't it real easy to say you value Christ? We can say it right now. I value Christ. But proving it with your actions is a different matter, isn't it, altogether? Paul did more than simply say he valued Christ, didn't he? He proved it by the way he lived. May that be true of us. May we long to know him in this way. Fourth and finally, to experience joy through valuing Christ, we have to live for his return. Live for his return. Listen to what Paul says in verse 11. That by any means possible... I may attain the resurrection from the dead. When Paul spoke about the Christian walk, he often compares it to a race, which is fitting because there are two things to remember in a race. One, we have to be think, you have to be thinking about what's taking place presently, your pace and your place in the race. But also what needs to be taking place is your mind and your thoughts and your eyes need to be set toward the finish. Runners are to have their eyes focused on the finish. And that describes Paul's spiritual life to a T, doesn't it? 
He was definitely mindful of and focused on what was taking place currently. In the next few weeks, we're going to talk about how to experience joy by pressing on. And Paul says there, I forget what is behind and I am pressing on to what lies ahead. Paul was very much mindful of what was taking place currently, but Paul was also had his mindset toward the finish. Paul's greatest desire in life was to be in the presence of the Lord and be made like him. That was his desire. You remember he says something along these lines in Philippians chapter 1, verse 24, when Paul's faced with the uncertainty of whether or not he's going to live or die in prison, he says his greater desire is to depart and be with the Lord, which he says is better by far. Have any of y'all ever felt homesick? Anybody ever felt that way? When I was little, uh, I remember one time when I, I was really homesick. Uh, I went uh, during the summer for two or three weeks to go stay with some family. And about midway through the, the trip, I just had this longing to be home with my dad and mom in my own house, in my own bed, and the fact that I was only halfway through the trip and miles away from home didn't make matters better. Paul was homesick, but not for an earthly home, but for a heavenly home. He longed for the day when he was going to leave this life of sin and death behind and enter into a new life into the presence of the Lord. Unfortunately for us, we value this life too much, don't we? So much so that we're really not on the same page with Paul when he says to depart and be with the Lord is better by far. You know, we say, yeah, we understand this. We kind of understand what he's getting at. But if we're honest, we like our life here, don't we? And we like the house we live in, the town we live in the car we drive, the friends we have, the enjoyments we have here on this earth, and we want to stay here a while. But Paul proved he valued Jesus by having a greater desire for his heavenly home. And I know this is a hard concept for us to swallow, but believe me when I say this. This world in no way, shape, or form compares to the place that Christ is preparing for us. The Word of God goes to great lengths to tell us this. That's why we're constantly being told, don't just live for this life only. Don't just have your mind set on the here and now. Live for His return. Paul longed for that day. What about you? Do you long for that day? Are you living today with that day in mind? As believers, we should live and long for Christ's return. I want to end this morning by asking you just to think of this for a moment. Think about the things in this life that you value. Think about the things you want and the things that you now have. And I want you to ask yourself this question. Would I be willing to part with those things for Christ? Would you be willing, if you were asked to, abandon those things for Christ? 
May we learn from the rich young ruler, Matthew 19. Remember in reply to his question of how to obtain eternal life, Jesus basically told him, you know, obey the law. And in response, the man says, you know, all these things I've kept. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, go and sell your possessions and give them to the poor, and then you'll have treasures in heaven and come follow me. You know, it doesn't say this in the text, but I have to, I have to think that the, the rich young ruler thought in his mind, well, that stinks, because I got a lot of stuff. And he chose stuff and left without Christ. And Christ let him go without him. Some of you may be saying here this morning, sitting there thinking, that's harsh. Listen closely when I tell you this. That's Christianity. That's what the Christian faith is all about. Valuing Christ more than anything else. No song says it better, I don't think, than uh, the song I'd Rather Have Jesus or Ray Miller. Listen to the lyrics of this song and just ask yourself, is this true of me? It says, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be His than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. I'd rather have Jesus than men's applause. I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to his holy name. He's fairer than the lilies of the rarest bloom. He's sweeter than honey from out the comb. He's all that my hungering spirit needs. I'd rather have Jesus and let him lead than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. You want to experience joy in this life? then you have to value Christ above all else. That's what God requires of us, and that's the message of Christianity. Let's pray. Father, forgive us for how we failed to treasure Christ the way that we should. And how we've not lived to prove that He is more precious than all things. Father, I pray this morning, if there's anyone here this morning, impressed with their own works and think that they can merit salvation apart from Christ, I pray this morning you do a great work in their heart and life and show them that the opposite is in fact true. And bring them to the point where they reject their filthy rags of achievement and in return receive Christ's immaculate robe of righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen.